Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to the Quarantine Break Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Ward, and this is the Socially Distanced Tea Break with Extraordinary People. How are you doing? I hope you're doing all right out there. If, like me, you need a bit of an escape from everything in the world right now, this is the perfect episode for you. Today, our conversation is with the marvellous actress, Catherine Rose Morley. And then his owner said, oh, he likes like squirty cream cheese. So I had cream cheese all behind my ear. So I was like, okay, that didn't work. And she said, oh, he actually really likes sausages. I was like, right, okay. So I split a cocktail sausage in half. I, this is not even a joke. Split a cocktail sausage and rubbed a cocktail sausage all over my face. And I was like, I just had this moment of going, what am I doing? What is this? What is, what is happening? If you're not dying to find out what that story was about, then I don't think we can be friends. We had such a laugh in this episode, and if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed by everything recently, stick the kettle on right now. Sit back and listen, because this episode contains cats and dogs. What more can you want from life? But as always, I started by asking Catherine how she takes her tea. Well... I, f- I find this question, I love that you start your podcast with this question, by the way, because I'm a serious tea drinker. It's serious business. So it's Yorkshire tea, mm. proper brew. Um, I let it brew for about a minute. Little bit of milk, not not a dash and not too much. It's like that perfect, happy medium. And then I have it pipe and hot yeah. straight away. I can't be doing with this let it settle and I'll come back to it in five minutes. It has to be straight out the kettle and also always with a biscuit. I mean, I just can't not have tea just by itself. Like it has to be with something. Now that's interesting, Catherine, because I do I do quite a bit of intensive research before these conversations because <laughs> I want to build up a profile of the person that I'm talking to. And I was looking on your Twitter page the other day and Bake Off was on... It was a picture of your tea and it was a packet of chocolate hobnobs. Talk me through that biscuit choice. 
I mean, that is hobnob not one of the best biscuits? Mm. I mean, I think it is. It's one. Of, it's up there. It's up there with the best. See, I'm going to get a lot of emails about this, but I find a hobnob a very disappointing biscuit. Don't, Simon. <laughs> disappointing. Disappointing biscuit. No, Simon, come on. Let's. We've only just started this podcast. <laughs> Let's not get off to a bad start. We were getting on so no. well before the record started, weren't we? We were getting on so well. I just think it's such a good biscuit. I, I take tea and biscuits so seriously. There was, so I did, did a show called Last Tango in Halifax. Mm. And there's a scene that, in our last series with Josh Ball tonight. It says, Raph and Ellie are sitting in their deck chairs, drinking tea and eating biscuits. I mean, literally, that is like my absolute dream day at work. I took it so seriously. I brought my own biscuits to work <laughs> because I thought, if I get to Seth, and the props guys have got biscuits that I don't like. Mm. I'll, I won't be happy. <laughs> so I actually brought my own biscuits to Seth just in case. I, I had to have a choice. <laughs> you made a big character decision there. Yeah, it was huge. It was huge. a huge character decision. I couldn't go with the hobnob though because I couldn't eat that again and again and again. Well, I couldn't even eat it once. I find eating a hobnob just like eating a dry kitchen sponge. <gasps> I like saying the word hobnob like anyone with the mind of a small child, <laughs> but I do, I do find it. But a dis- when you dip it in your tea, yeah. Oh, it's so good. The only thing I probably won't eat is a bourbon. Really? I think bourbons taste like cardboard. But everything else, I'm pretty much up for. <laughs> I'll always say yes to a biscuit with a cup of tea. Always, always. I love them. And before we move on from our tea chat, lastly on <laughs> tea, who who make who makes the best cup of tea, Catherine? I, I think I make a really good cup of tea, but there is nothing better than a really good cup of tea being made for you. Yeah. And my mum does make it pretty good. It's it's ve- it's very serious business with my mum and dad. <laughs> Quite right. They have it very. My dad has the tea bag in black. My mum tea bag in and out in a dash. Wow. And it's black. And then I have it in the middle. So we're all very, it's very serious business. We all think very seriously and we're all very good at knowing how each one of us likes. <laughs> it sounds so sad, but no. you know, it's the little things in life that get you through. Well, I always think if you've never listened to this podcast before and they're coming in as a fan of yours, what a strange way to open a podcast talking about tea. I love it. I've listened to, to your podcast and I love that you started with tea because I love, I, I, I'm a northerner. I love me tea. I love it. And it's, it's part of daily life, so you have to get it spot on. I should point out, don't worry, listeners, it's not all about tea. We will be talking about Catherine's new show, The Syndicate, a little bit later on. But Catherine, am I right in thinking The Syndicate was one of the first shows to film after filming restrictions were eased in the summer? Yes, we were. We were one of the first to get back up and running, which was kind of you know, crazy. We were so ready to go. I think we were meant to start on the 23rd of March, which was the first day of lockdown. Um, so we were very, you know, set to go and it, and then it's completely stopped. So picking it back up, there was the excitement, but also that pressure of how do we do it? Do we, how, how is this world going to work? And then we also had the we were a little bit like the guinea pigs. There were lots of productions looking at us to see how we were doing it. And I have to say, Kay and the BBC and Rollam and all our execs just did absolutely everything they could possibly do to make it safe. And we succeeded. You know, we managed to finish without standing down. Um, and I just think what an achievement that oh, the definitely. whole cast and crew made such sacrifices um, to, to, 
to get the show done. But we were also excited to be back at work for yeah. the, you know, the big majority of, of the whole casting crew. It was our first job in months and months and months. So we were quite willing to make those sacrifices and hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, it, it's, it'll pay off. What was it like? Because I've sort of seen behind the scenes clips from shows and you have people talking through Perspex screens that then edited out or they're kissing their real life partner with a wig on yes, or there's or there's tricks of perception where you're sort of standing 12 meters away but it looks like you're holding hands what was it like filming well luckily for us we didn't have to do any of that so the, the five syndicate members we were all our own bubble and mm. um, so we couldn't we kind of you know we worked together and lived together in, in a block um, and only socialized with each other we didn't leave didn't see our family and friends for for the whole shoot pretty much wow so we were really lucky that we didn't have to um keep a distance between the five of us and um, we knew we were getting tested but we did keep a distance from the crew so it was about kind of finding how it works without having to put perspex screens between <laughs> us or you know to look like we're kissing and we're not and <laughs> um, so we just had to keep ourselves safe yeah and there was someone on set all the time to to give us guidance and and to make sure we were doing everything correctly but yeah we were very lucky that we it would have been very difficult to create a drama with those restrictions it really would have been but we did what we had to do for that for, for, the, for that time when i emerged in july after lockdown one i was a bit like an agoraphobic caveman i was just grunting <laughs> at people i was hiding in corners Catherine, picture Gollum, but standing in a butcher's queue. <laughs> but I, but I, I felt honestly overwhelmed at being around people again. What, what was that first day like on set? Or as you say, were you just so anxious to get back to I work? I think it was such a mixture. I mean, they were anxious to get back to work, but the excitement. But then, like exactly like you said, the nervousness because after that first lockdown, you're very much in that bubble of not seeing anybody oh yeah of course you were um so to then go back was such a strange feeling to kind of see people outside of you know i i, I did that first lockdown with my mom and dad so just mm. to, to see other people was quite strange luckily we had one day we did a pre-filming day which was a chance to discover how things are going to work mm which was the most incredible thing because we were told that we've got this day. If what we shoot isn't usable, it's absolutely fine. This is just for everybody, the cameras, the sound guys, the actors, makeup, hair and makeup, how's that going to work? Just to test everyone's, uh, just to kind of see how the, how the land lies. Everyone to take a bit of a breath and just figure it out because we're all so new to it, yeah. which was invaluable. I was very grateful for that first day. But there was also this sense of excitement bubbling up underneath everyone was so happy to be back at work oh i bet i think because the guidelines they put in place kept us safe it meant we could enjoy ourselves mm. there was a slight trepidation to begin with those first few weeks that balance of it but on the whole because it felt safe you could really then start to enjoy the job and you know human beings adapt so quickly that after a while it just did become the norm and, and you adapt and you just get on with the job Oh, of course you do, Catherine. And then that's when the you know the fun comes in. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And as I say, we will come onto the syndicate a little bit later. I keep teasing it, but we will come onto it a little bit later. But we are recording this on the day that children go back to school. Well done, parents. You made it. Oh, well done. Well done. Catherine, how do you think you would have gone with homeschooling? Oh, terribly. Seriously? 
absolutely terrible. Um, all homeschoolers deserve an absolute medal. Yeah. Um, I've got my own nieces and nephews who I'm very close to, who I absolutely adore, but I just don't think I I could have possibly have been locked in it. <laughs> Um, I just think what the commitments people have made the last 12 months, teachers and parents alike, and the children themselves, they're really missing out. Oh, yeah, of course they are. Not just, you know, education, yes, but the huge social aspect of going to school. You know, they're, they're all missing their friends. And I think it's such, I don't think anybody could have envisaged that children would be off school for this long. Yeah. I always remember... When I was at school, we had a flood and we stayed off for three weeks and it was like the best <laughs> thing that ever, ever happened. But I I remember thinking, oh, I could miss seeing my friends. And that was like three weeks. Yeah. So I think, you know, a, a big well done to the teachers keeping things going, the parents keeping their, their kids kind of happy and well-fed and safe. And I think good luck to them. But I imagine there'd be some who are quite happy that the kids are going back today. I mean, I am under no illusion whatsoever. I would have been terrible at it. I would have just ended up yelling and throwing more tantrums than the children, which I'm told is not the ideal parenting or teaching technique. (laughs) No, it's probably not. It's probably a good thing that you're not a teacher. You never see those adverts for teachers where you just see them screaming and then crying in the stationary cupboard. That would be me. That would be me as a teacher. I just don't think I could have done it. When when I'm with my nieces, we, you know, we bake cakes mm. and do like crafty things yeah. and, you know, they love kind of gymnastics and things. So I don't think I'd, I'd have just gone, come on, let's get to a park or let's make a cake. I don't think I'd have really encouraged the, the, the sit down kind of classroom etiquette. They probably would have liked it. But I think I would have been fine for three days. Short term. Short term, I think I'd have been... I'd have been great. <laughs> Any longer than three days, I'd have cracked off. <laughs> so the return of kids to schools is obviously step one of that roadmap that eventually sees us back in nightclubs. And even if you didn't go clubbing before, Catherine, unless I've got this massively wrong, I think it's law that we are to go to clubs from June. Simon, I cannot wait to go out dancing with my mates, <laughs> have some drinks, dance on some tables. <laughs> And just have the best time. I've missed it so. I've missed dancing so much. Just kind of things that you just really, really did take for granted. And I know there's more things to life than than going out. But I have missed seeing my friends and socialising and getting dressed up. And there is an element that that I've really missed. But I'm also going to contradict myself and say I absolutely love being in the comfies. Yeah. And. And that, you know, loungewear has become a, you know, a new phenomenon. And I just love, I always have loved being in my my jammies. As soon as I get in and I'm I'm in for the day, my jammies are on, (laughs) even before lockdown. So I'm a big, I'm a walking contradiction. I do realise that. But I do miss, I miss getting out in that and having a few drinks and (laughs) going down. Hopefully it won't be too long. I'm sort of imagining what that sort of first day would be like. And as I say, like desperate to go to a club, but I couldn't dance before lockdown. So 12 months on doesn't stand to reason that I've got better. I mean, I can't comment. I've never seen you on the dance floor, but I feel like no one will judge you for your dance moves after being locked away for, for 12 months. I think just get out there and just get on that dance floor. Why not? Well, you haven't seen me dance. Though. There will be so there will be a level of judgment, I think. <laughs> Well, none from me, none from me. <laughs> so, Catherine, we are in March now. How are you feeling about everything? I think that you have to be positive. Mm. I really do try my hardest to 
to, to see the bright side. And that has not been easy. The last 12 months, there has been, it's been a real roller coaster. I was very lucky to work, but you know, before that was very difficult. And then after it was very difficult, I, it's been a tough year, but I have also, um, in terms of like my immediate family, relatively unaffected mm. by it. So I'm exceptionally lucky and I realize that. So I just think we have to keep doing what we're doing, look forward and try and be hopeful that we can regain the things that we've lost. Yeah. And we have lost a lot of things. And when I hear stories of people who haven't seen their parents or you know, their grandparents, and oh, it's so incredibly sad. But we, we have to look forward. You know, we can't stand still. And sometimes looking back is a good thing and sometimes it isn't. And you... You just have to kind of see the po- the possibility of the of the future of the better future coming. So right now it's you know that the the warmer weather starting to creep in and the lighter regions yeah, it makes yeah. such a difference to your mood. So I'm quite looking forward to the summer and and, and anything that it'll bring and hopefully it'll you know have picnics again <laughs> and see fam- more family and friends and I'm really I am looking forward to it I'm looking forward to this summer and mentally is that how you're approaching the next six months you're looking forward rather than back because last year does feel a bit like a gas leak year doesn't it I mean I kind of look back and think how are we 12 months on I don't know about you yeah. but I just think are we really in March mm. did we start this a year ago uh, that's bizarre it, it feels like the longest and the quickest year of all time yeah definitely uh, it's it's so ridiculous but you know I've got a lot to look forward to this year um building a house which is kind of a bit crazy what? but we start yeah we started the build in August last year that got pushed back as a COVID so we started the build in August incredible and we're hoping it will be finished end of May June Amazing. so that's kind of like a real focal point for us to keep us kind of focused on moving forward and oh next week this will be happening with the house and this so that that is really keeping us going at the minute so even if everything else seems to not to be stood still fingers crossed our builders are working hard (laughs) I don't know if they are right now because I'm not there but hopefully they are and that's moving forward and I think that this year is very exciting for us to be able to move into our our new home I mean building a home that's amazing but that does actually remind me. I was listening to you, Catherine, on the wonderful Two Shot podcast the other day, presented by the lovely Craig Parkinson. And you mentioned that obviously you've been living at home, which I guess has been so typical for, and I'm going to say on 97 now, for younger people during the pandemic. What has it been like living at home? Quite strange. I can't lie. Mm. You know, it has been quite bizarre. You know, like I said, uh, with Craig, I haven't lived at home for for about eleven years. Yeah. So then to to go into a lockdown with your parents, it's it's um <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also feel incredibly lucky that I have had that time with my parents. I'll never get that time back. Yeah. You know that real intensity, which for good or bad, I'm very grateful for. It's also made me realise that I'm so desperate for our house to be finished. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously we were meant to start the build earlier, but because of COVID, it, it got pushed back. Yeah. So we should have already, you know, it should have already been finished by now, but it's it did take a bit of a um, bit of time to get up and running. But when we did when we did film a syndicate, it was a, a four-month shoot. So I have had that break yeah. of going back to work. I'm now not working, so it's a it's a funny roller coaster. 
that I think everyone's getting used to and just take it day by day. I think that's all you can, all you can do really is just take it day by day. Can I ask you someone who reverts when you go home? Because whenever I'm around my dad or oh, brother, child. yeah, straight back into to 11 year old round with my brother, my dad's yeah. shouting for me to get up. I'm like, I'm 37. Why are you shouting for me to wake up? <laughs> like my mum will like, she'll come in my room and I'm like half, half awake, half asleep. And she's like, are you awake now? I'm like, oh my God, mum, it's seven o'clock. Like, please give me a minute. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I turn into such a child and I think they, they think I'm about 12 as well. It, it's a really weird dynamic when we do go home. Um, but it, yeah, they're, they're, they're mad, my mum and dad, but, <laughs> but I do love them. Yeah. We are just coming up to the halfway point of this episode of the Quarantine Break podcast with the lovely Catherine Rose Morley. Next up, I wanted to talk about Catherine's starring role in returning BBC One drama, The Syndicate. This is, of course, the fourth series of the drama written by Kay Meller. I started by asking Catherine for anyone who hasn't seen a previous series if she could set up what the show is all about. The show, in its simplest terms, is about a group of people, a syndicate, who win the lottery. That is, you know, the, the premise of the of the series. Each series, this is its fourth, <clears throat> is a standalone series. So each series is a different uh, group of people who win the lottery. And it's very straightforward in, in that respect. This series has a slight twist, which hasn't been done before. So I can't say too much, but... There is an injustice that has been done and it's about setting that straight. And yeah, I think even though it appears on the surface as a very simple story, group of people win the lottery, what Kay, the writer Kay Mella, is so fantastic at, and if anyone's familiar with any of her other work, which I'm absolutely sure they are. She's incredible. Kay writes these very ordinary human people and characters and she puts them in extraordinary circumstances. And I think that's what makes her... His story is so compelling to watch because you, they're so relatable and they feel like you could know that person, but they're going through something quite extreme. And I think that's where the drama and, and the entertainment and the, and the fun comes in. Oh, and I mean, definitely in this series. And I, th- I also believe that, you know, Kay is such a, she's such a you know, national treasure. Yeah, yeah. And she's has this absolute amazing backlog of work that, People love Kay and, and love her stories. And I feel so privileged to be able to lead a, a Kay show. How does that feel? I, I, you know, kind of pinch myself that I, I get to I, I get to be the person to do that because she's she's wonderful. I've watched an early cut of the first episode. I really <laughs> loved it. And you're so good in it, Catherine. You're really, really good. It's such um, a fast moving drama. And that but that first episode really takes time to set up the characters and sort of show why their life isn't so perfect. And I feel by the end of episode one, I really know that. I know them all. And that, that's a testament to Kay's writing, isn't it? Oh, it is, definitely. She writes so, her writing is so intricate and complex. And I think you see that more as, uh, you know, as the series will carry on. I think all the characters are so, like I say, so relatable and so lovable. And hopefully by the end, they, you know, they all go on their own journey. I think by the end of the series, they're better people than, than they are when they very first started. And you play Keely, who isn't in the best place in her life when we first meet her. Can you tell us a little bit about Keely? When we first meet her, it's her birthday. 
And you see fairly quickly the the relationship she has with her mom, who's played by Kim Marsh. It's quite a fractious relationship. relationship. They very much live hand to mouth. There's not much money. And you see her on her way to work. And it's a job that she absolutely adores. She loves working at this dog kennels, but it isn't well paid. And I think that's another element of the script that Kay explores is the exploitation of people on these zero-hour contracts. And it is an exploitation uh, because they have no rights. Yeah. And, you, and you, know, you see that as, as the show progresses as well. I mean, I adored playing Keely. She's so much fun. She's a, she's a go-getter. She's you know, the leader of the, of, the, of the group. She really rallies the troops. She has a glass-half-full attitude. Mm. However, there is a real vulnerability and fragility underneath that confidence. Yeah, and I yeah. think to, to an extent... We all have an element of that. We all put on some kind of show in front of somebody, even when you're feeling a little bit insecure mm. or it's a bit of self-doubt. So I could really relate to that in that respect. And she also has her flaws and her demons. And, you know, she does have an addiction with, with gambling. Yeah. And she's in complete denial about it. She absolutely doesn't see it as a problem. Because up till this point, nothing bad has ever really happened. Yeah. She loses money. She's, she's in trouble with a debt collector. But it's, she gets by. She's, she's, a, she's a fighter. And she'll just scrape by without really getting into, into deep trouble. And I think that's where the, it's quite dangerous because you're flirting with the line of it being really bad. But she's also she's incredibly loyal and she has a good heart. And I hope that people do see that about her and yeah as exactly as you say in that first episode you do see the complexities of her character because when you first meet her you think oh she's a gambling addict that will be her defining quality but she's also a deeply loving sister and as you say she's a great friend and despite literally running away from a debt collector she's very honest she is she is honest and I think I also I'm so glad you picked up on the relationship with her brother, uh, who's played by Reuben, mm. who I just think is an absolute superstar. And I cannot wait for you to see what else he does in, in the show. She takes pride, I think, in, in her relationship with her brother and her friendships. That's what means the most to her. That's what kind of, you know, gets her through the day. And I, I think that love she feels for her brother and ultimately her mom as well, even though they have a difficult relationship. She's a family girl at heart, yeah. even though it's been tough. But she also hasn't really had any gap, strong guidance. You know, you, you will learn later on, her father's not really around. And she's spent a lot of time growing up by herself. Mm. So she hasn't really had that guidance of, a, of somebody to, to help along the way. She's lost her way a little bit and getting a bit carried away. And it's a shame. It's, it's sad, but she learns, a valuable lesson is learned by the, by the end of it. And I like I said, I think by the end of the show, they're all much better people. And that's not because of money. Yeah, They're all better people by the end of it because of the experience they've, they've been through. And the point you pick up on, I guess, her gambling problem, I think, I think it's really interesting in how that's explored. Because often on TV, we see the extremes of behavior. So, but I think her relationship with gambling, scratch cards, online gambling, and particularly how she's propelled by push notifications feels so much more prevalent as an addiction in real life. Oh, absolutely. I think there's a preconception that in order to be a, a gambler, you, you go into a bookies and, you know, the horses or you go into a casino. Actually, with, in this day and age, it's 
It's so accessible. I mean, literally accessible 24 mm-hmm. seven. It's on your phone constantly. You don't have to physically go anywhere in order to gamble. And I feel that is incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Because if you do have an addiction, it is literally there. It's so worrying, isn't it? When you think of how, you know, just like even advertisements for clothes or for shoes, you know, when you Google something and then those ads kind of reappear and reappear. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's constant and you can't escape. You can't turn it off. And I think that's quite scary if you're of that nature. I'm glad that Kay's shown it in this way. You know, a young girl who is just, it's just the scratch cards. Yeah. And it's, a, it's you know, just an online game. She, you know, Kaylee plays it down so mm. much. Because like I say on the service, it is just a bit of fun. But the reality of it is that it absolutely isn't. Her relationships will suffer from it. And her friendships, ultimately, she, she would be on her own if, if she carried on down that route. And we see sort of a moment, which I don't want to spoil in the first episode, where she has to make a choice between two things. I guess one that would make her family happy and one that sort of feeds her gambling. And she chooses the latter. That sort of, in very subtle way, t- talks about how much she is addicted to these online yeah, games. Yeah, absolutely. And I, without giving too much away that, increases even more throughout the series and it's it's heartbreaking you know it, it's mm. it's tough because you want her to do the right thing and you're kind of willing her to do the right thing but you know as anybody who does know about addiction you with the best will in the world you can't force somebody to do something they will do what their addiction kind of leads them to do and you have to they have to figure it out by themselves and sometimes it's about getting to rock bottom and I think she there's, you know, she does reach that point. And I think, you know, when you do reach rock bottom, there's only one way and that is off. So that positiveness in her as well is something that will get her through. And the syndicate is both a long running beloved drama. But ev- as you say, every series does deal with a different group of people. And even though this series is its own separate entity and you've done big BBC shows like Last Tango in Halifax, did you feel pressure coming onto a show like this? 100%. One, first of all, it's Kay Miller, mm. so to do her script justice. But also personally, I've worked a really, I've worked really hard to get to this point. Yeah, of course you have. I've adored all the shows that I've worked on, and I've worked hard to get to a point where I'm leading a BBC One show. So the excitement, like there is excitement, but also pressure to do it justice. But Kay and the rest of the syndicate and our producers were all incredibly supportive, and we were all there for the same reason. And I really do think that we've created a show that is the most wonderful escapism of the time that we're living in. I think it's really good fun, as well as giving you that drama and anticipation that you, that we love from any drama. And I hope that people watch it and just really enjoy themselves. Someone in the show who looks like they're having the time of their life is Neil Morrissey. What was it like? <laughs> What was it like working with Neil? Oh my God, he's so much fun. He's so fun. He's absolutely lovely. We did. We had, we had a great time. We, we really did have good fun. And obviously, which I think the trailer is out now. So you've seen that we go to Monaco. Yeah. I mean, how lucky were we? We got to film in Monaco for a month. We just had a really great time. We had so much fun. I imagine Neil's someone that just gets recognised wherever he goes. Because he always plays these relatable guys I just imagine people recognize him and then immediately approach him and try and have a conversation, even in pandemic times <laughs> when we're all socially distancing. Yeah. And he's, 
he's absolutely lovely and, the, and one of the best things about Neil he's always got a st- good story to tell you know there's never a dull moment with Neil he's always <laughs> telling a story or telling a joke or and he was just brilliant to work with I, I learned a lot from him but we just he's got a, a wonderful he's incredibly generous and you know wonderful sense of humor and I yeah, just I, I, I adored working with them. And am I right right in thinking, had there been no filming restrictions, you were originally intended to film in Vegas? That's true. We were meant to wow. be going to Vegas, which would have been absolutely insane. But <laughs> do you know what? It's it's a really strange thing how how things do work out because Monaco works better for the story mm. in the long run. I think it is actually a much better story. I can see your cat in the background. She's so cute. She's so cute. Such a show off. Yeah, I think Monaco is a better backdrop for the story that we're trying to tell. So it it all works out in the end. And well done for getting through the end of that answer as my cat was just licking himself in front of you. Um, (laughs) Once again, thank you for that cameo, Scampi. And obviously none of us have had a night out in months or certainly for a very long time. But Catherine, are you particularly sad you didn't get that Vegas night out with Neil Morrissey? <laughs> yes, I can't lie. Yes, absolutely. I feel like that would have, you know, been one of those things of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas kind of scenarios, which I have also experienced before. I, I went on a on a handy to Vegas with my girlfriends and we had the absolute time of our lives. It's just one of those places. Have you ever been to Vegas before? Many years ago now, but when I did go, it was, it's just nuts, that place, isn't it? I mean, I just don't know how, it don't, you can only do it for a short burst, though, can't you? A couple of days. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is a shame. It is a shame that it, it wasn't Vegas. But things do come good in the end. And, and Monaco, I mean, I've never been there before. So to see Monaco in that light and to, to see the, the locations that we filmed in. It's extraordinary, really. Treading very, very lightly on spoilers. What else can we expect from this series of The Syndicate? Oh, we got sent a big email yesterday being like, do not say these things. So I've <laughs> got to be very careful. Um, I think you'll see some amazing backdrops in Monaco. You, If you're an animal lover, come for the dogs because mm. the dogs are such a huge part of the show, just as much as any of us. And they bring such heart and joy to the show. And a few ups and downs. And hopefully one minute you'll you'll want one character to kind of, you're with them and then, oh, you're with someone else. And I think ultimately you'll see a group of young people figuring out who they are, finding their feet in this extraordinary situation that they've been thrust into with just just all these amazing dogs. So yeah, I think just come for the dogs. Yeah, well, I can't, let this segment of this conversation go past without mentioning the excellent dogs can we talk a bit more about the dogs because they're even in episode one they're just some just some excellent boys oh honestly we had the most incredible i mean i got to go to work every day with dogs that's like my absolute (laughs) dream when i very first got the email through for uh my initial self-tape there was like a little asterisk it said my agent saying must be comfortable with dogs (laughs) i circled it sent it back to my agent and went you have to let them know how much I love dogs like let them know that so I ended up putting all dogs into my self-tape I think because my my boyfriend's family their dog had had some puppies so I had six dogs at hand and I went come on then they're getting in they're getting used why not and I think (laughs) 
Kate said, I think that was the only reason she, she gave me the job. Because like, <laughs> I had all these dogs in myself. Too. But they are the... It wasn't all easy. I'm not going to lie to you, Simon. It wasn't like... <laughs> You know, people do say don't work with animals and children. Dogs yeah. are hard work. Yeah, yeah. They are really hard work when you're when you're <laughs> trying to do something. I mean, there was this there was this one one day where I actually think it might be an episode one where the, the dog Duke has to lick my face <laughs> in a script and the dog just would not <laughs> lick my face. But it would it, it did before the take and then just didn't. Yeah. And I ended up rubbing dog peanut butter on my face. That didn't work. <laughs> And then his owner said, oh, he likes like squirty cream cheese. So I had cream cheese all, <laughs> all behind my ear. I was like, right, okay, that didn't work. And she said, oh, he actually really likes sausages. I was like, right, okay. So I split a cocktail sausage in half. I, this is not even a joke. Split a cocktail sausage and rubbed a cocktail sausage all over my face. And I was like, I just had this moment of going, what? am i doing what is this what is what is happening uh, hopefully we did get it hopefully we we did get one take where we think we got it so you know all for the you do anything for the for the way but it wasn't all easy but the dog i'm such a, an animal lover that i just love that that there's so many dogs involved and actually one dog who is happy is actually kane's dog he plays happy oh. which he's he's gorgeous i love that there must have been a point where you thought hang on a minute, I'm leading a BBC drama here and I'm currently rubbing sausage on my face. Is, is Neil Morrissey doing this? Is he? <laughs> is Neil being asked to do this? <laughs> I know, I mean, I've said before, you know, I'm really proud to get to this point in my career. <laughs> I mean, then I'm rubbing cocktail sausages all over my face for, for a take. Um, but you know what? It was <laughs> all in a day's work. It was it was what we had to do to, to get the job done. You know, if Kate if had asked me to do something, I'd have done it. You know, there's there's bits, we were actually texting about it the other day. There's a bit in Monaco where I, she was like, we were driving around in a van. And she was like, do you want to lean out the window? And I went, yeah, okay. So I'm leaning completely fully out the window. And we're getting told off by people saying, you can't do that, it's the BBC, you're not allowed. And Kate was like, just do it. I was like, yeah, okay, okay. So, you know, anything that Kay asked of me, I'd have said yes. And Catherine, I have to finish up by finding out what TV shows have been keeping you going. What have you been watching? I mean, I don't know about you, but so many, so yeah. many TV shows have been keeping us going. Currently, I'm rewatching Line of Duty. Which, oh, that's I amazing. Mean, yeah. My boyfriend had never seen it, and I was like, I don't understand how you've never seen Line yeah. of Duty. So obviously, the new series out in March, I was like, come on, let's start from the beginning, which is amazing because. It was so, the first series was so long ago. Even though I've watched it, you all you kind of do forget some parts of it because it's incredibly yeah. complex. So I'm absolutely loving that. It's a sin. I absolutely loved. I thought yeah, it was the most so incredible good, piece it? of drama. I mean, so many TV shows over the last. When you think back to you know the first lockdown, you had Normal People, and I May Destroy You by Michaela. Yeah, I really need to give that a rewatch. I really, really do. Just so many incredible pieces of work that I'm so grateful that these shows have kept us going in a time where we've really, really needed it. People have turned to shows and television to get us through the day. And thank God Landa GC has gone on and on and on because I'm, I'm enjoying watching it yeah. all over again. <laughs> and obviously, if you are looking for a feel-good TV show, 
that's coming up this month. It's obviously The Syndicate. It's got some incredible dogs, a wonderful cast. And, you know, it will just put a big, big smile on your face. Oh, it absolutely will. We had an absolute ball filming it. And for anyone who's watched the show before, I think they will love it. And for anyone who's new to the show, I think they will absolutely love it. I think it's for everybody that you can, you know, watch with the family or just sit down and have a cup of tea and 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 enjoy. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's been lovely. Wasn't Catherine the best? Wasn't that such a lovely episode? Isn't she such a joyous person? I thought we were almost going to fall out at the start though because and I'm going to say it again, Hobnob is not a good biscuit. The good news is that you don't have to wait too long to get some more Catherine in your life because the fourth series of The Syndicate will premiere on BBC One on Tuesday, March the 30th at 9pm. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Quarantine Break podcast. Your support out there means the absolute world. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your tweets. Thank you for your messages. It is all appreciated. And we always try and reply to as many as we can. Even though lockdown restrictions are again changing in the UK, we're not going anywhere. There will be a new episode, the next of which will be dropping on Tuesday, April the 6th. We'll be back then. But in the meantime, please stay indoors.